Jesse Show. Joining us now, uh, just one of the best guys in entertainment and probably anywhere else, John Andrasik from Five for Fighting, who has really uh, stepped out and uh, I think taken some some career risks and uh, and isn't blinking a bit about it uh, to to highlight uh, issues like Afghanistan and now Ukraine and the amazing leadership of Volodymyr Zelensky and maybe some comparisons as to why it's so amazing. John, great to have you. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks, Ed. Nice to be with you as always. Well, John, I mean, this is uh, you know your your um your your new song. Can one man change the world? Uh, I mean, really sent chills down my spine, and uh, it's beautiful. It's um you know just from an artistic point of view, it's a beautiful song. Um, it really does ask tough questions, and you never mentioned Volodymyr Zelensky once in this, although you do mention Ukraine, obviously. And yeah. it's very clear from this, though, who it is that you're speaking about. It's a, it's this comedian who turns yeah. out to be the who turns out to be the only non-joker, <laughs> I think, yeah. in leadership at the moment. No, you're right. Uh, you know, it's it. I actually started. When I sat down to write it, I started with the chords from my Superman song um, because I just, you know, thought, thought it fitting that we're watching a real life Superman. And in, in Superman, you know, I never mentioned Superman's name either, right? It was right. It, it was pretty obvious. And I think if you're looking for for uh, somebody whose stand is historic right now, it's there's one guy, and uh, I think. I think the whole dynamic changed, Ed, when, you know, what was our first action when Russia invaded Ukraine? It was to offer Zelensky a plane ticket. Remember that? That was yep. the first thing we did. Say, so, hey, here you go. We'll get you out. And I think when he basically turned to the president and Secretary Blinken and said, you can keep your plane ticket. Send me some stingers. I think everybody kind of kind of said, who is this guy? We didn't know who he was. And then watching him kind of drag the world to the right side of history and, and reflect uh, his courage uh, in his wife, who's incredibly impressive. I was his, just about to mention her. I mean, yeah, I mean, she's amazing. And you mentioned and, and, and you do make reference to that in the song, too, right? No, I call I mentioned Elena in the song. And, yeah. you know, they they basically, you know, I think everybody figured um, if he stayed, he's a dead man. But his he his his wife's standing with him and his his kids, um, and I think that dynamic really kind of flipped the script. You know, uh, appropriate I guess for an actor, uh, he flipped the script, and 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 courage is contagious. And uh, I thought, um, you know, just being so inspired by this guy, you know, as a songwriter, you're always looking for something to be inspired by. I I just felt compelled to to write a song because. We don't know, you know, how this thing's going to end, but um, he certainly, uh, I think, he, he is a Reagan. He is a Churchill, and the only difference is, is you know, Reagan and Churchill weren't being hunted daily by assassination squads, you know. So this guy, you know, we never know when his last speech is going to be given, but at least for me, it's incredibly inspiring and it's refreshing considering the weakness and appeasement uh, we've seen from Western leaders for decades. John, you know, I think part of this is sort of this feeling of unreality. This is sort of a fantasy that we constructed that this type of power, uh, this type of power demonstration was passe. And, and you see this in, in or at least we did see it earlier in the conflict, uh, you know, when, when there was a buildup saying, you know, well, you know, this is, you know, displays of power just show you how impotent um, Vladimir <laughs> Putin is. And it's like, uh, no, it's actually the opposite. Now, is it self-destructive? Will it backfire? I actually think it will. And I think that the Ukrainians have, have, have done the West a massive favor by exposing Russia's military as a corrupt, uh, uh, crumbling paper tiger. Uh, it, that doesn't, of course, they still have nuclear weapons and that's right. <laughs> that's a whole other category, but but their ground forces and their air force are are far far uh, less effective than anybody ever imagined, and so for, at least in that sense, 
we're getting that. But I think the, the bigger thing that Zelensky is providing and, and Olena Zelenska, and for that matter, the Klitschko brothers, Petro Poroshenko, yeah. who is a uh, almost like a, um, a blood feud rival to Zelensky, going out in the streets and taking up arms, uh, you know, as, as comrades in arms, at least for right now. I, I mean, I think that that really does force us all to have the scales drop from our eyes and realize that the history didn't end in 1990. And and we're it's still the same old world it's always been. No, I think you're right. I think it's a, a big wake up call, and certainly it goes way beyond Ukraine. And he's the kind of figure, and there's very few of them, that forces you to ask yourself, what would you do in that situation? You know, if you were, you know, the president of country and you're being attacked, would you take that plane ticket or would you die? And by him doing that, and also his eloquence. And his just kind of real man guy, you know, he's just he's a little dude wearing a T-shirt and we look at him, we see ourselves in him and say, what would we do? And then you then you see his inspiration to the Ukrainian people with mothers in their apartments with AK-47s saying, oh, I'm staying here and the children in the background. You know, it's it, it forces us to look at ourselves in the mirror and, and it strengthens us. It actually, I think, shames us as just people and as nations and it empowers and inspires us. So. You're right. Hopefully this is a big wake up call that actual evil exists. We've been self wallowing in the self hatred in the West of how evil we are. And uh, with wokeism, we're all horribly racist and sexist and the wor worst thing the world's ever seen. But then when you see real evil, you see this man, Putin, his aggression, his atrocities, killing civilians and bombing hospitals. It makes uh, our kind of uh, conversation the last 10, 15 years seem rather trivial and shallow. And hopefully that does um, take some of the scales off our eyes. But, you know, I'm still not convinced. That's why we have to support this man. And that's why we can't allow him to be devoured by Russia, sweep it under the rug like we have done for Afghanistan. And why we really can't push him into surrender. Right. I mean, because, yeah. I mean, you mentioned the fact that they were going to send him, a, you know, they're going to try to find a way to extract them, exfiltrate them. When we get back to the whole concept of exfiltration in a moment, because I do want to talk about Afghanistan here for just a little bit. Yeah. But um, and he, you know, he declined that, said, I don't need a I don't need a ticket. I need I need stingers. I need javelins. Um, but I mean, you could see especially in the first few days that the West was really not sure how to go on this. And I'm not just meaning Joe Biden. I'm also talking no. about Germany. I'm talking about, of course, I mean, France was probably tougher than anybody. Right. At, right. At, uh, right. At the first, you know, Macron was actually pretty firm on this stuff. But yeah. You could see, you could see this sort of buckle initially in the West saying, well, maybe we need to, maybe we need to, you know, allow for a petition. Maybe Zelensky needs to, you know, uh, resign and, and let another, you know, because we just don't want war. We don't, we just don't want right. war. Um, and I think that this has been a reminder that some, that there, that there are some things that are actually worse than war, which is the fact that if you buckle down to tyrants like Putin, you're going to get a lot more war. It's better to go. It's better to go early than to go late in those in those situations. It has been interesting to see who stands up. You never know, right? Uh, yep. The actors. I mean, just this week or last week, you saw the prime ministers of Poland, I believe Czechoslovakia and Slovenia go to Kiev. Okay, go physically stand there with Zelensky. That doesn't happen without a leader like like Zelensky. And I do think the West was just planning on managing the fall. It's going to be a couple days and then Putin will put his guy in there and then, okay, don't come, you know, don't come after us again. And even now they're dumbfounded, you know, nobody, no, nobody more so than Putin. Um, and they don't know how to deal with it. They've been, they've been exercising appeasement for decades. You know, you've talked about a Crimea, Syria, even Hong Kong. We didn't talk about what, what what do we know about Hong Kong? Oh, that LeBron James tried to get Daryl Morey fired. That's all we talk about. Not the fact that we allowed basically China to um, come come take over Hong Kong and crush freedom of expression there. Right. So we've been used to this pattern of just appeasement. And when you see somebody standing up to that, they don't know what to do because it's not in their nature. Um, 
But uh, but yeah, and, and I sympathize with the president to a certain degree. This is different than Afghanistan. Afghanistan was just a pure moral debacle, Orwellian disgrace that they'll carry with them the rest of their lives. You're right. You know, Putin has nukes. He has chemical weapons. Um, I understand that, you know, the, the consequences of a no-fly zone. But as you said, if we are just paralyzed and and allow kind of to sit on the sidelines and allow Zelensky and Ukraine to be devoured, who thinks it's going to stop there? It's not going to stop there. Um, so, um, so yeah, it'll, it's, it'll be very, you know, I'd say interesting, but more than interesting, it's critical how, how we, we support Zelensky in any way we can in Ukraine. It's a tipping point of history. Um, China's watching, Iran's watching. Uh, we always thought this would be the first domino to fall after Afghanistan. It has. Taiwan, uh, if we allow Ukraine to go to go backwards, I'm sure Taiwan will be next. Right. So the, I don't I don't know if the consequences has been uh, more more uh, critical in my lifetime. So let's get to the song before we get okay. to Afghanistan, because I want to talk sure. about the, I want to talk about the song a little bit. You already yeah. started mentioning how how you created it, how you structured it, the, the chord progression which yeah. again is a beautiful song people you know thank you and, and uh you know we're gonna um embed it i'll have the producers embed this in, in the uh in the podcast once we get to that point sure. but uh one thing interesting about the song you actually um have publicly released the rights to it so yeah. that people can incorporate it into their own videos i mean that's that is that is an extremely generous thing to do because you know I play in the right space too you know we're kind of particular about when people start scraping our content to do other things <laughs> with it um, that is an incredibly generous thing to do and tell me a little bit about that well you know again this thing came so fast I I literally wrote it recorded it and uploaded it within 48 hours and I had no expectation for much of a response but was quite a large response and i saw you know how it was shining the light on zelensky and providing you know fundraising opportunities whatever and and i could see you know similar to like my song superman i i had people call me and say can i use your song for hold music for my company uh, i hadn't seen that in 20 years so so i saw hmm. how it was reaching folks and i'm like this this is not a single this is not a song to monetize or chase up the charts or um it's a song that has a mission behind it. And, and so I think it was important to, and at the same time, because I released it so quickly, it wasn't on any of the streaming platforms. Nobody could find it beyond the lyric video. So yeah, we, we put it up for free on, on Bandcamp. And I talked to my publishers and said, look, anybody who wants to make a video of this song, you know, this is more important than monetizing your 25 cents, you know, per stream or whatever. Right. And they totally agreed. So yeah, so it's um, it's out there for the world to use or, or not, and um, hopefully there'll be more songs like this. You know, we've talked about this at about kind of our disappointment that there hasn't been more um, advocacy for Afghanistan from the arts, and there should be more for Ukraine. There should be you know a live aid for Ukraine. I don't understand where where the the arts community um, has lost some of their soul uh, for these huge issues. But maybe there'll be more. So hopefully, you know, I, you know, I have seen a few, but hopefully there'll be more. Well, I, I was just about to ask you about that right after I get over the the dry heaves, remembering some of the uh, hold music uh, battles that I had to fight back in my previous <laughs> career. Oh, my gosh. I mean, back back in the day, it was like, well, you know, it was sort of like the Wild West. And then you start getting all these letters threatening lawsuits because you're you're playing oh, Kiss F, You're playing Kiss FM through the. <laughs> Oh my the, God! Through the uh, yeah. hold music, and it's like you know. Well, first off, Kiss FM might not have been the best choice anyway. But uh, <laughs> I digress. I digress. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, I kind of understand. I don't agree with it, but I kind of understand the politics involved and why people weren't speaking out about Afghanistan. I think it's a disgrace. Yeah. Right. But I understand why is because yeah. it looked bad for Joe Biden, and they didn't right. want to make Joe Biden look bad. Right. I'm not quite sure why there would be a reluctance in this case to do that. And I'm, I, I, I don't know. I was, I was going to ask you, I haven't seen a whole lot about it, but maybe you've seen more advocacy here about, about standing firm with Ukraine in uh, the entertainment uh, zone. I haven't seen a lot of it myself, but I mean, I may be missing it. No, well, look, you know, Bono wrote a poem, um, 
I saw he that. Had Nat, he had Nancy Pelosi read it. Wouldn't have been my first choice for someone to read my poem, but hey, no more power to him. Um, so at least he said something. Um, you see a lot of Ukrainian artists, of course, writing and singing. Um, but it's weird. It's weird in the culture here. It's almost like we're in this bubble and whatever happens outside of the world doesn't matter to our TikToks. And, and um, it's a pretty shallow culture in the arts. Um, yeah, it's just I think that it's a kind of it's a statement on who we are as a culture. What are we writing about? What are we talking about? What are artists advocating for? Certainly, there are some people who are doing it. You know, Angelina Jolie's been very vocal for Afghanistan. You know, there's there's some people doing it, but the usual suspects who like to talk about compassion, human rights, you know, and and uh, in that in their music and in their brand, frankly, you know, some of those folks have been pretty pretty silent over the last year when we're having historical generational events that are literally killing hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people, um, both in Afghanistan and Ukraine. Uh, with humanitarian crises we haven't seen in decades. So, um, you know, all I can do is write one song and, uh, you know, hopefully others will will find their voice as well. Um, and before we wrap up, what's the latest that you're hearing from exfiltrating uh, Americans and American allies out of Afghanistan? You know, it's, uh, it's a tough slog. There's so many roadblocks. The State Department has not been helpful, as you know. Um, the Taliban is uh, making it very hard to get flights out. There was actually just a horrible scam that cost some of these orgs over a million dollars. They're so desperate to help people they're being taken advantage of. At the same time, they're doing incredible work still. They're getting people out. Uh, one of my one of my organizations I work with, Save Our Allies, just today was announced. They they were instrumental in giving the Fox, getting the Fox News reporter who was almost killed out of Ukraine. Mm -hmm. They had special forces in there. So they're they're you know, they're now in Ukraine um, because they do the right thing. They have I think they have the soul and the character of of what we grew up with America being is being the good guys and going after the bad guys and keeping promises. So it, as tough and frustrating it is for them, they're not quitting. Uh, they're still going at it. It's uh, they're getting a few people out. But, you know, one of the realities of Ukraine is it has sucked up all the energy from yeah. and, and, I, and, and, you know, to be honest with you, appropriately from Afghanistan and the, all the focus is there. And so it's harder for them to raise money. So we're still doing some more projects. You know, there'll be things to announce in the next few weeks about Afghanistan. You know, we can do both. Uh, we can we can stand for Zelensky in Ukraine and we can keep our promise to our allies in Afghanistan. So that's my mission um, to continue doing both. And we'll have uh, some announcements for for keeping Afghanistan in the spotlight, even though Joe Biden did not mention it in his State of the Union. We'll uh, we'll try <laughs> to mention it and uh, keep the focus on 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 that reality, which in many senses, at least in a humanitarian uh, light, is as tragic and horrible as Ukraine. Uh, right. Yes. And <clears throat> we have to do both, John. I mean, yeah. uh, we have to be able to multitask here. And that means we yeah. have to have we have to be able to have eyes in, in, in both um, both directions here. And and John, I know that you have you have set up a, a website and I'm sorry that the URL just escapes me on the Afghanistan uh, fight. Of course, you can go to fightforfighting.com. That's, you know, that's the obvious, yeah, <laughs> the obvious website for John. But I mean, you you did set up a, a different domain name, right? For that directed people uh, to the Afghanistan effort. Yeah, for for anybody that wants to support these orgs, uh, we have a website. What kind of world do you want? dot com, and if you go there and you click on that Americans for Afghanistan uh, link, uh, that money goes to five hundred one c three California Community Foundation. And then I just distribute it to these. Or actually, today I filled out one uh, to uh, give a donation uh, to Project Exodus Relief for five five grand. So that money is going to go directly to these orgs. Doesn't go to me. Uh, you can also just Google them, you know, yourselves and donate. Um, and as far as the song, uh, if you if you go to uh, fiveforfighting.com and you want to download "Can One Man Save the World" for free, again, you just click on the link, put zero in the box, and you have the download to share at will so i appreciate everybody you know we you know we 
you know, the song's called Can 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 One Man Save the World? Well, certainly one person can't save the world if they're alone in this. So it's up to us to share share the message for both Ukraine in Afghanistan. And uh, and if we all do that, I think we'll we'll move the needle. So you can go to fightforfighting.com for that. And if uh, my expert engineers and producers um, uh, match up with their usual terrific um, uh, terrific work, you'll see that probably following this uh, this uh, segment right <laughs> here, Can One Man Save the World if you haven't seen it yet. And um, if you have, if, if for some reason I have overstated our capabilities here, <laughs> Just look it up on YouTube or go to fightforfighting.com. And uh, no, they're great. They're terrific. I'm sure it's going to play right after this. John Andrasic from fightforfighting.com. Thanks so much, not just for being here, because, you know, I just love talking to you, but just for everything that you're doing. And thank you so much. Hey, I love hot air. I get a lot of my news there. So goes back at your team effort. Thanks, Ed. Thank you, sir. Stay tuned for more. And maybe can one man save the world? Who is this comedian, his audience, more mass than men? The Superman, Ukrainian, I don't know. Great grandson of the Holocaust, an Eastern heart the West has lost. Nail or carry up his cross, I don't know. But he's got everyone He's got all of us thinking Can one man save the world in a thousand years? Will they say your name or is this all in vain? Can one man save the world? Will you take my hand? Will you help me stand? Still. Can one man save the world? Olena pulls him to her breast The bear, the devil, stabs their chest Can one embrace, raise the oppressed? I don't know Does freedom still have appetite? Is there the will, the goods to fight? Can a single flame light up the night? I don't know Yeah, but he's got you all thinking Cause everyone's thinking Can one man save the world in a thousand years? Will they say your name or is this all in? One man save the world Will you take my hand? Will you help me stand? Still in the end Can one man save the world? Am I alone in this? He says Am I alone in this? He says Are we
Welcome back to the Ed Morrissey Show. Joining us as always on Tuesdays, my co-host, my partner in crime, the prince of Twitter, the regent of redstate.com, Andrew Malcolm, at A.H. Malcolm on the Twitters. Andrew, welcome back. Hey, thank you, Edward. That always gets me. Uh, your, your introduction is just, it boosts me for a, at least an hour. Well, you know, and it's important that we note the passage of time because the passage of time is very important to the passage of time. And yeah. time and time goes on so slowly. I'm sorry, that's a... <laughs> I, I'm, I'm riffing off a Kamala Harris thing, which we won't play here because it won't really come through very well. But um, there's this word salad. I mean, Kamala Harris really needs a speechwriter or she needs to be told to stick to the speech because when she riffs... Um, it's it's not good, Andrew. And she went off in this 30-second oh. thing about the passage of time and the importance of the passage of time and how time is important to the passage of time. And oh. uh, Yeah. Well, there's one thing about time. It, it keeps on passing. <laughs> well, you know, it's just a matter of time. Mm. Until I, it passes some more. Until it passes some more, then it's a matter of some other time. You know, I, I, and I would be remiss... If I did not mention at this point, the fabulously classic Brooke Benton song, It's Just a Matter of Time, one of the greatest songs ever, sung by one of the greatest singers ever. I'm sorry, I just got to work that sucker in there. Um, is it, well, is that going to be with the post? <laughs> it might be. I mean, I'm, I, I might I might take a look at that to see if I can work that into a post. I, I haven't written on any of this, but if I write about Kamala Harris, I'm going to work in the Brooke Benton song. because. Yep. Well, there's at least two generations that probably have never heard this. And it's maybe he and Barry White are probably the two best pop singer baritones that have ever been around. And there's so few of them, <laughs> right? Not a lot yeah. of not a lot of baritones are pop singers. Maybe those two and Leon Redbone. This might be the third. But um, and I'm sure I'll get emails. What about so-and-so? And I'll be going, um, yeah, right. I guess I forgot about that person. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's just a matter of time. All right. Uh, speaking of baritones, is Leah Thomas a baritone? Now, I, I, I might go there in, in a minute. We're going to be talking about media bias and uh, all sorts of things. But we're going to start off with um, Andrew's excellent column about uh, what's going on in Ukraine. How Ukraine snipers are picking off Russian generals one by one. Um, this is, I believe, out in the clear, right? This is not a VIP um, post. Right, right. Uh, the Sunday column was on the uh, on Sasha, the Fox News producer who got killed last week. Oh, yes. Yeah. And I, and I wrote about her and all of the Sashas that I have known in my career overseas. These are essential people. They're wonderful, good-hearted. They end up being anonymous. And in her case, sadly, it, she ended up being dead. But uh, along with the cameraman uh, when they were ambushed just outside Kiev. But a um, young woman, 24, full of energy and life. And um, I got access to her Instagram account and wrote about what kind of a person she seemed to be from her posts. And um, I found that to be uh, uh, unusually touching. I've, I've covered a lot of stuff in 55 years or 56 years, whatever it is. But it's um, that, that one uh, kind of struck home for me. The sniper one, which is going crazy because it's in the open at, at Red State at the moment, um, is, uh, is amazing to me. David Petraeus. Um, we all know had a 37 year career in the army a brilliant man four-star general and he just and he was also head of the cia for a while but um jake tapper got him on analyzing what's going on in in um in ukraine right. and and um uh the general went into some detail that i knew nothing about about how the Russian communication system is so crummy and shoddy um, that they had to go, it, it failed all the time during the invasion, and they had to go to what he calls single channel. The Ukrainians jammed it, uh, so the Russians went to, to um, cell phones, and the Ukrainians 
took down the number code for Russia <laughs> cell phones so the Russians couldn't use their cell phones for the generals to talk to each other. And so they ended up stealing civilian cell phones from Ukrainians and calling domestically inside Ukraine, which, of course, makes them very vulnerable to tracking. So what happens, uh, I'll say it briefly, there's a lot of fascinating detail in the post, but yep. uh, what, what happens is the uh, Russian non-commissioned officer corps is, uh, is terrible or non-existent. And, um, uh, and so you have soldiers on the line with no real leadership the general's getting in trouble from Moscow because things aren't going well. The soldiers on the line get stopped by Ukrainians who are motivated to protect their homeland. These guys, Russians, are conscripts. They were told that they'd be welcomed as liberators, and suddenly people are shooting at them. Uh, and so the, the advance gets stalled. So the general comes up uh, to see what the heck is going on because they don't have the communications, as I mentioned, and... Boom! Ukrainian sharpshooters nail them, and yep. now there's 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 a dozen, almost a dozen senior officers who've been clipped, uh, including five generals. Um, and we had a picture of one of them. Um, it didn't look like he was uh, having trouble finding foodstuffs, like uh, so many Russian soldiers, I guess. But um, they've been sacking and looting for food, and some of them have just downright. Uh, surrendered to the Ukrainians uh, because they didn't have any food or water or fuel and they don't want to go home. So kind of a mess there. And um, one of my colleagues at Red State uh, had a, has a post about sabotage going on in Belarus on the railroad, bringing supplies to the Russian troops. So yeah, um, it's, it's kind of a mess, but the Petraeus story and his presentation of it, I just found absolutely fascinating. I'm, I'm into military history and tactics, and and uh, I've always liked him anyway. So well, anyway, there's there's good stuff in there for a read. Definitely great stuff, and you should read Andrew's column. It, it just I'm going to um, provide a little context because I did some research on this myself for a VIP post I did. Uh, I think it was on Friday. must have been Friday. And... Um, you know, the Russians have lost either four or five generals at this. I think there was another one today or yesterday. Um, so five generals in just a little over three weeks, right, um, of and, combat. And four and four more sacked in Moscow for for the poor performance. Well, that's actually not as unusual. But, I mean, let's let's stick with the ones <laughs> that have been shot, right, or killed in action. And, and, and two things, the number and where they've been killed are both very, very telling here. And, um, you know, where they've been killed is on the front line and generals don't in modern yeah. warfare, generals don't go to the front unless there's a problem, um, right. for this very reason, because generals have a lot of operational, tactical, and strategic information and knowledge that they it makes them extremely valuable. So you don't want them captured and you don't want them killed. You really don't want them captured, but you don't want them killed either. So they shouldn't be up there. The only reason that they'd be up there is because, the communication is so bad, which is what you've been talking about, that they can't get the units unstuck or the morale is really bad and they, they need to go up there and personally kick ass. And you see this in the movie Patton, you see this where Patton yeah. is charging around in different parts of the front and, you know, uh, firing, uh, firing a major and uh, <laughs> putting somebody else yeah. in his place because he doesn't, he, do, he can't figure out where to cross the river and Patton's already done it twice. Um, I mean, there's that scene in there, but you generally don't want to do that with your generals because they are so valuable. Um, and as a, as a comparison, I went back and I took a look at um, how, many, um, how many American generals we lost in various different wars. And we just lost one about eight years ago in you Afghanistan, know? Major General Harold Green. Uh, and that was an assassination. He wasn't on the front line of combat. That was an assassination. Yeah. That was a turncoat. Yep. Uh, that it was being trained. And to me, a terrible part of that is that Obama did not go to the funeral. Yes, I remember that, right? Um, and then there was another general who was killed on 9-11. He, he was in the Pentagon, which should count as a combat death. And sometimes people forget 
to count that as a combat death, but um, Gen uh, Lieutenant General Timothy Maud was killed in the, uh, was killed in the Pentagon on 9-11. But prior to that, the last American general to die in a combat situation was in 1972. We haven't lost i mean we've done major combat operations ground combat operations in afghanistan for several years and iraq for several years and we haven't lost a single general in any of those combat formations again the one that we did lose in afghanistan was an assassination attempt that wasn't anywhere near the front line um we lost 13 generals one of whom was from a heart attack actually um in combat uh in combat theaters in vietnam and that was over in what a 13-year period to lose oh. four or five generals in a four-week period weeks. of time. Yeah, three less than four weeks is stunningly bad. I mean, stunningly bad. This is this is complete incompetence on the part of the Russian military, and likely because it was probably caused by that incompetence, because the generals had no choice but to go up there with their mortar boards, right? Uh, so it makes them a super easy target. They, to, have, to they have very big hats. Yes, they do. The general, but that doesn't protect them. But their hats are huge. Yes, they're now, easy to know, spot. Hats, hats make the man. I mean, those are. Well, they make the target. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> they certainly make the target. So that brings us to well, the generals aren't the only ones dying out there from from in the Russian military. And um, earlier today, in Alapund, well, uh, by the time this podcast drops, you've already been able to read Alapund's post on this. He's working on it as we're speaking. Um, there was a, uh, a Russian newspaper that actually published what looks like what looks to be accurate numbers of killed and missing in action in Russia. And that number is around 9,300 soldiers killed in action, which in is Ukraine. In, in Ukraine. Ukraine. And, and that's far more than what we lost in Iraq and Afghanistan combined. It's more it's 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 two thirds the number that the Soviets lost in Afghanistan over nine years. I mean, this is, again, less than four weeks of combat. They have gone, they have lost, killed 92, uh, they've had 9,200 of their soldiers killed. Um, I'm going to look this up really quickly here. Um, uh, I'm not sure it was the, um, the uh, injured, wounded or 16,153. Um, I don't think it had an MIA number in it. Now, this was posted by Komsomolskaya um, uh, Pravda, excuse me, a pro-Kremlin tabloid, apparently. Um, 9,800, excuse me, 9,861 uh, killed in action. Almost 10,000, almost 10, close to 10,000 soldiers. Um, and then, they, of course, they took it down. Because <laughs> yeah. apparently that was not... That was not the message that they wanted out to the Russian people. Um, that is That's a stunning, amazing. I mean, it's a stunning yeah. number. I mean, and it really does underscore what you wrote about, which is that this is just a, a complete catastrophe for the Russian military. It's not getting any better either. No, no, they, they have so much more, I guess, bodies to throw into the chopper. Uh, than the Ukrainians do. But as Petraeus pointed out in um, the article, uh, they have roughly Ukraine 200,000 in the military, but there are millions of would-be guerrillas. I mean, it's like the American Revolution in the sense that everybody's chipping in with a Molotov cocktail, with the jamming of radios, with um making things difficult for the russians so it he said you can't just go uh you can't just go by the numbers but you're right it's it's um it's an awful thing the the uh the russian soldiers i guess are mainly conscripts they were misled that they would be welcomed as liberators um and um it's um, inexperienced they all must serve one year. And of course, maybe a third of that is supposed to be taken up by training, but it sounds as if a lot of them were just rushed in and thrown, uh, thrown at the, uh, in, into the fight. Um, and, and, you know, if, if anybody who saw the movie uh, Enemy at the Gates, <laughs> that's, um, 
it's about snipers, but it was the Russians doing the sniping right. on Ger on Germans. Uh, this case, it's the Russians taking it. Uh, but there was a scene in Enemy at the Gates where the they didn't have enough guns in Stalingrad uh, weapons, uh, so they hand out. So they gave a clip of ammunition to each Russian soldier and a rifle to one of them and uh, every other one. And they said, when the soldier in front of you gets killed, pick up the rifle. <laughs> Go on to say, what an inspiring uh, um, mission, a, a statement to be uh, to be sent to. But that's what they did, uh, Stalin, uh, what he did uh, against the Germans. Uh, just keep throwing people at them. And um, I guess in the end, it worked. Yep. Not, not for the people who got thrown. Well, more is coming, obviously. We'll talk uh, you know, over the next uh, couple of weeks, except for my vacation, which is coming up. By the way, I should mention, I'll be uh, the, the first week of April, or last week of March, really. I'll be, um, I'll be out, so we won't be doing podcasts during that period of time. But, so that's next week? Yeah, next week. So okay. you won't, we won't be talking next week. But of course, you know, this, this Ukraine was, is going to continue to be a story no matter. Um, oh, no, I think the story will just die off for, for a week till you get back. <laughs> well, I'd actually like that. If the, if the war would just disappear, I'd take a permanent vacation. But no, that's, it's not going to happen. So um, let's move to, um, let's move to something a little closer to home, both uh, in terms of geography and both and in terms of our uh, focus on media bias. Um, late last week, the New York Times Delivered a scoop. A scoop, I tell you, Andrew Malcolm. The scoop is, is that they got some emails off of Hunter Biden's laptop. And it turns out that the Department of Justice is uh, doing a wide-ranging criminal probe of Hunter Biden. It's not just about whether he paid his taxes. It's also about his uh, business dealings in Ukraine and other company, other countries and, and connections to Joe Biden and Joe Biden's, you know, uh, politics and... They wanted you to know that the, this is a big scoop. They, the, the New York Times acquired <laughs> these things. The same laptop that the New York Post wrote about 17 months ago and that NPR said that they weren't going to waste their time on, that Twitter and Facebook, you know, blocked people from from accessing or, 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 or sending. I mean... You have to have a lot of chutzpah at this point to claim that you've gotten a scoop that off of Hunter Biden's laptop. <laughs> if you're not the New York Post, at least, you have to have a lot of chutzpah at this point. Chutzpah and arrogance. I mean, that's just, uh, it's disappointing. It's, it's not the New York Times that I worked for for so long. Now, there was a bias there. I don't know if you call it a bias. There was a, a mode of thinking there that even though something might have been reported somewhere else and you were obligated to say if somebody else had something first, um, it wasn't really recorded until the New York Times, a newspaper record, had it. So you would go into some depth and length on stories that others had had um, because it was not had not been made available to New York Times readers. That's a long time ago. Uh, and but this, this is just blatant. What's by? Yeah. Well, right. I, I mean, I, I, I would argue that I, I wouldn't even necessarily argue that that's a bad thing. As long as the New York Times acknowledged that the New York Post had actually exposed this in the first place. The, the words New York Post never actually appeared <laughs> yeah, in right. this article, ever. They didn't acknowledge that this was something that had been already openly discussed, something See, had been openly debated. That's shameful. That's just shameful. I mean, it's just crazy. It's crazy. So so at the same time, you know, the New York Post is actually is actually feasting on this for a while. And, and God bless them. I think they deserve it after all the crap they took publishing these stories in the first place. Um, but I think there's a really interesting question here, which is that what about all the people who said that this was Russian disinformation? I mean, it wasn't just Joe Biden saying that. No, no. It wasn't it's just Hillary. The White House. Well, Hillary, Hillary too. But what about the 51 Intel, former Intel officials 
that insisted that you couldn't take this seriously, that it smelled like Russian disinformation, and that we should just not even pay attention to anything that the New York Post... I mean, they signed a letter, right? James Clapper is one of the names on the, on the list. Leon Panetta, who is normally, I think, better than this. My guess is he got talked into this, and he's probably regretting it. But James Clapper is, is one of the guys who's currently an Intel analyst for CNN. It's <laughs> just ridiculous. Well, Leon Panetta is in my uh, uh, scrapbook of infamy for having been Secretary of Defense during Benghazi. Right. And the next, and th the next day, uh, answering a question about why weren't reinforcements sent in? You had a drone watching everything, and he said, "Well, you don't send troops in where you don't know what's happening." Really? Really? <laughs> I mean. Okay. This is why they trained for years for anything that might happen. Yeah, I mean, it's just, well, yeah, you only send troops into safe places that you know and can control already. So anyway, yeah, you're right, Ed. It's, uh, and the Post had a wonderful headline about it. Was it big, big letters, lies? Spies who lie. Spies who lie. Spies who lie. I like that one so much. I actually had to clip out the uh, clip out the the uh, front page and put it into the put, make it actually made it the header for the um, for the post at Hot Air. <laughs> but I mean, I mean, this this calls into question something that has been an ongoing issue in media, right? Which is the hiring of politically motivated hacks as oh, yeah. as analysts now i don't mind if if you're bringing somebody on who served in an administration and james clapper is a special case even in this sense to say well this is a person representing the democrat point of view this is a person representing the republican point of view so i don't have a problem if sean spicer comes on to talk about you know defending the trump administration record or donna um uh, donna brazil to defend whatever <laughs> right um but I mean, these people were, you know, they had partisan roles. They are not analysts in, in any sort of sense. They're, they're not independent analysts at the very no, least. No, and, they're not. And James Clapper in particular, Andrew, we got to talk about James Clapper in particular. This is a guy who lied to Congress. And it, this isn't just a partisan issue here. I mean, he was serving in Barack Obama's administration as the um, director of national intelligence. And he flat out lied to Congress on multiple occasions and Democrat Ron Wyden of Oregon, who's not exactly a dyed-in-the-wool conservative, right? I mean, this guy's way out progressive, wanted him tried for perjury over it. He was furious over this. Others, I mean, the bipartisan anger about James Clapper was, was notable. And Obama refused to fire him. In fact, put him in charge of, you know, fixing the credibility issues in the intelligence community, which is one of the, one of the, you know, stupidly ironic moments of that of that period um and then as soon as the obama administration closed up shop cnn hired him yeah even yeah. though he had repeatedly lied to people you know presumably or at least ostensibly under oath or at least under you know the the normal the normal uh compulsion Total. to to yeah, tell the truth when you're when you're testifying to congress i mean yeah well he you know he I remember, I think it was Leslie Stahl or somebody was interviewing him. Or no, Diane, um, Diane, Sawyer. Diane Sawyer. Yeah. And he was in a joint interview with somebody else. And he, and he said flat out, gee, I didn't know about this. It was some terrorist incident in London. And uh, the woman reporter said, wait, you don't, you didn't know about it? The DNI did not know about this? So, yeah, I don't find him all that impressive. But some of the others in there i kind of had respected them over time um and it, you notice that most of them didn't want to respond to the question right no I mean, of course not no of course not they They're, all shined yeah. on they all shined the post on when it came no, to they got their they got their uh, advance for their books and they wrote about uh and the cia cleared of course the books from the cia people um it's just, uh, it's, it's, they, Washington, this is a, a real bipartisan issue. Washington takes care of each other. Yep. Okay. Now, you remember all the people that got fired uh, for that IRS um, bias against conservative groups? None. None. Yep. Zero. And, and all, the, and all the people that got tried for letting four Americans die in Benghazi? 
Oh yeah, I remember all of all zero of those. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There were none. The the Admiral Mullen, who's another guy that shows up on TV all the time, he was in charge of the accountability review board on Benghazi. He didn't even bother to interview the Secretary of State, who was running the show all night long at the State Department as these men were killed. Uh, and the president, uh, we still don't know what he was doing for 15 hours. He talked to Hillary at five the afternoon when the trouble started in Washington time. And he wasn't seen until the next morning when he promised swift justice and then went off to some fundraisers in Las Vegas. Uh, and we got one guy got, uh, got arrested and yep. he's not, he's not in Guantanamo. It, 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 it's accessible. Washington is accessible. I, I refused to work there. Um, I was there in graduate school working and it's just packed journalism. Even way back <laughs> when I was in university, uh, and uh, I couldn't, I couldn't stand it, so I refused to work there. Yep. All right, last story, and I sent this over to you right before we, right before we jumped on this. You know, the whole Leah Thomas um, transgender uh, athletics story is very interesting. There's lots of different takes on this, but there is a media angle here that we got to discuss. The NBC News was covering this, right? And um, this was at a um, at a uh, what do we NCAA call it? championships. NCAA championship, and um, NBC was covering this. And um, this was Leah Thomas. Well, he or she, I, you know, I whatever. I, and Andrew's not going to see this, but he's he's watching it on his own device. There, um, this is what it looked like when Leah Thomas was in the pool. This is something that um, this is the the actual photograph or, or, or a screen capture from the video. This was the picture, though, that NBC News used on their Today Show report. Very clearly, heavily airbrushed, right? I mean, to the point where this is, and I was joking with Andrew before we started recording the podcast, this is almost as bad as the moonlighting shots where they backlit Sybil Shepherd and, 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 and fuzzied up the lens, even though Sybil Shepherd is a beautiful woman, there was no need to do that. It was a sort of style thing that moonlighting used to do just used to drive me up the wall. But again, just here's reality. And here's what NBC news used on the today show to cover this. I mean, that's not even good airbrushing, man. That's, 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 that's the, and there's no, there's no ethics. Uh, you know, I understand the need they have in recent times uh, promoted people who did not serve the long apprenticeships that, that they used to. And so they don't have an opportunity to absorb the culture of, of ethics and diligence. But this keeps happening often, and it often seems to come from NBC. You know, and remember MSNBC editing, selectively editing audio tapes out of Florida for some uh, yep. uh, a while back? It's just, um, yeah. I don't I, know. I, I don't know what we can do about it except that was the George Zimmerman case. They were yeah. they were accepting they were they were editing the oh, audio from the 9/11 calls, and then the yeah. New York Times just recently did the same thing with it, even though it had been long debunked, right? I mean, it's, it's yeah. I mean, yeah. what news agency airbrushes a news photo? I mean, I understand if you're uh, a photographer. Oh, that's a firing offense in my day when I was there. There was a, there was a wonderful photographer, a highly professional man, a photographer who uh, rearranged some flowers in a flag picture for uh, July 4th. And I don't know how they found out about it, but he rearranged some flowers at a newsstand and he got fired. Yep. Uh, for, for creating news rather than, yeah, yeah. rather than reporting news. And um, yeah, nobody's going to get fired over this because nobody's going to shame anymore. Um, nobody there, are no fired. there are no consequences for anything bad these days. None. Exactly. Um, I'm reminded, though, and this is actually a pretty good movie, certainly a memorable movie. The, um, William Hurt just passed away. He was one of the stars of this broadcast news. Oh, Albert, yeah. Albert Brooks. Love Albert Brooks. Holly Hunter. I love Holly Hunter. Uh, you know, there's Joan Cusack's in it. It's got some great... Um, Robert Prosky is in it. There was all sorts of great, um, great acting in it. And it's, I mean, it really did sort of 
serve as a warning as to what was going to come or what was already coming at the time. I mean, it's really about what was already coming at the time. But there's a scene, I, I mean, I'm not sure if you're going to remember this scene, but it's always kind of stuck with me where, where she and Albert Brooks are in a, um, uh, like a uh, commando camp or not a commando camp, but uh, like a, um, what was the, um, uh, the Contras, right? It's supposed yeah. to be like the Contras. Um, and, uh, somebody is uh, they're getting footage you're getting like b-roll footage right and they want to get a shot of a guy putting his boots on so they ask the guy why don't you put your boots on <laughs> all the other says no we don't do that we don't do that and the guy's staring at her like she's insane and she goes sir if you'd like to put your boots on that's fine but you don't feel like you have to do it <laughs> guy's like okay <laughs> but i mean that was sort of the standard. That's the standard that you're talking about. Those are the standards Albert that are Brooke, getting didn't, Wasn't it Albert Brooks who said uh, he was talking to William Hurt on on the set, and he said, I say it here, and it comes out there. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually a brilliant yeah. movie, and Albert Brooks is just so good in that movie. Um, if you haven't seen Broadcast News, everybody here has probably seen Broadcast News, but if you haven't, you should watch it because it talks about those standards – and they were disappearing at that point in time. They're gone now. I yeah. mean, this this Absolutely. airbrushing of, of the Leah Thomas photo is just, it's embarrassing. It's so bad. All right. But you know what's and, not uh, embarrassing? Didn't, didn't um, uh, the Babylon Bee got banned from Twitter uh, for giving the Man of the Year award to Leah Thomas? They've yeah. been suspended. Yeah. They had a headline. They had a headline last week that said, um, uh that uh, the NCAA champion swimmer was caught with performance enhancing testicles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, and, and look, I mean, I, I think that you can hold whatever opinion you want to hold on on that. I have my own opinion. I expressed it this morning. And, and this is a situation the NCAA could fix in a heartbeat just by simply creating a transgender category for competition and and having people uh, requiring people to either enter into their biological sex category for competition or opting for the transgender uh, uh, category and problem solved. You don't even have to, to, you don't even have to have a debate over this, but the NCAA doesn't want to do that because they don't want to have to take, they don't want to have to take a stand that there is such a thing as biological sex which is ludicrous, right? For all the people that are talking about, we got to follow the science. Biology apparently is not one of the sciences that you have to follow. <laughs> you know, I you got that one right. In. I guess, yeah. I, guess I, I, you know, okay. All right. But, um, but that type of thing really should be wrong. No matter which side of that question that you're on yeah. there. I mean, that is, that is trying to falsify a record uh, in order to in order to make a particular argument sympathetic in a way that a news agency never never should do so by the way do you remember what the um what the big um the big reveal was on broadcast news what what you know the the, the big climax what the, the big scandal that actually broke oh. everybody in, in in broadcast news remember that no <laughs> william hurt I was it was they didn't have two cameras for for an interview that he was doing with the victim of sexual you know, date rape, right? And they decided that they were going to mock him up crying and oh. <laughs> and insert it into the thing. Now that was bad. I mean, it kind of was bad, and that was the thing that uh, you know Albert Brooks's character sort of revealed to Holly Hunter uh, as a parting shot at William Hurt's character. But this isn't really that far off. <laughs> No, 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 it's, it's, yeah, I, I don't know what to say. You can't, you can only look at it and shake your head uh, and then reward the organizations that don't do that yep. and punish the ones that do do it by, by not patronizing them. I agree. Uh, I just don't understand people watching CNN and then complaining about it. I think, well, then don't. <laughs> watch it there was uh there was a cartoon i saw over the weekend of uh an, uh, an older couple watching the television news 
And uh, the newscaster said, well, we'll have Brett here with the Republican weather in a few moments and then Diane with the Democrat weather. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's perfect. There you go. Equal time. Equal, Equal time. time. I, I, I think I'd want to get I think I'd want to have a, a, a talk for the libertarian weather. <laughs> here's here's the libertarian weather report. Uh, it's none of your damn business. None of it, it's yeah, not government's right. business to be involved I don't in the weather. Take the government's word for what the weather will be. <laughs> if you want to know what the if you want to know what the weather is, go out and take a look in your backyard. Right. It's never well, none of the government's business. Fun. I I I did a feature one time in Iowa on uh, the life in a small town radio station, and the studio was actually put in the window display window of a former hardware store and i was sitting there with the guy uh and he was interviewing me about him about me interviewing him and he said but he interrupted and he said it's 12 o'clock in downtown charles city and sunny All right. Well, we're obviously having too much fun, Andrew, which yeah, means that we have, right. we gotta we have stop to stop this. We have get to get serious. We have to get serious and get to the jokes of the week. Okay. Well, we got these are older ones. This Fallon replay says in New York, he says, it's crazy here. The annual world clown convention is right here in New York city. You should see the traffic out there. There's like one car. <laughs> I always like that one. David Letterman said, uh, even the Taliban follows daylight savings time. They've now set their clocks back to the 17th century. (laughs) (laughs) That's being kind. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And finally, um, uh, Seth Meyers replaces chocolate maker Hershey is, oh, no, I did this one last week. Never mind. uh, Seth Meyers replay he says researchers have discovered the first T-Rex fossil within the Arctic Circle. The T-Rex, the T-Rex apparently froze to death because he couldn't button his jacket with those little arms. Well, that would, you know, I, I often wondered yeah. about that. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we can we we have Andrew here every single week that we do this Except podcast. Except not next week. Except not next week because I'm gold bricking next week. But uh, every other Tuesday, Andrew Malcolm is right here, and of course you can find him at uh, Twitter. He's the Prince of Twitter at ah Malcolm on Twitter. He is the Regent of RedState.com. You can go over there and read his his article, which is in the clear. This article is in the clear. Uh, how Ukraine snipers are picking up Russian generals one by one. You can also uh, find. Um, Andrew's reflection on uh, on the woman who, you know, Fox News reporter, Sasha, Sasha, Sasha. Uh, Kuvshin, Kuvshinova, um, who was killed in combat, and his reflection on the bravery and the necessity of war correspondents and, um, and all the sacrifices that they make so that we can find out what's actually going on. And as much as Andrew and I are critical of bad media practices, you have to remember that there are an awful lot of journalists out there who are putting themselves in harm's way to get us uh, the information that we need to make um, well-informed choices about public policy. God bless Sasha Kushanova and her family and all those who are, and, and, um, and I can't, Pierre Zakrevsky was the uh, photographer, Pierre Zakrevsky. So and there God was bless a freelance both. guy that was killed a couple of days before that. And yep. there've been, uh, as I understand it, a couple of Ukrainian journalists who were, who've been killed. Of course, that's not big news in the U.S. No. Dangerous work. Very dangerous work. Very dangerous work. We've got a lot of Americans who are doing it as well. And uh, every once in a while, they pay the price for it. So God bless them all. And uh, God bless you, Andrew. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, sir. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And we'll see you in two weeks. See you in two weeks. So... Stay tuned for more from the Ed Morrissey Show podcast and from hotair.com. This is Ed Morrissey of HotAir.com for Town Hall. Late last week, the CDC erased over 72,000 previously identified deaths from COVID-19 rolls, including over 30% of previously designated pediatric deaths. They said these patients died of COVID. Now they're rolling it back.
A brief and ambiguous footnote announced the change, but not the scope of the adjustment, nor the actual errors involved. This has finally embarrassed the CDC's top echelons into action. In a new email to staff, CDC Director Rochelle Walensky has suddenly taken an interest in remedying the data gaps for COVID-19. The CDC did nothing to correct the obvious data collection issues when high numbers bolstered Joe Biden's political arguments for mandates and restrictions. It's likely no coincidence that the CDC is now trying to fix those issues and get lower numbers now that voters are fed up with Biden's mandates. The CDC and the Biden administration have earned the deep skepticism of American voters on COVID-19. I'm Ed Morrissey.